Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, where we discuss the biggest, the best films coming to theaters and streaming online. Wait, I said films, but something a little different here. That's right, because you probably saw already the name of this little little excerpt, this little clip is Stranger Things, which is definitely not a film. It is a show. So I have I have a lot to explain here, but first I, I got to get a couple other things out of the way. First of all, I'm John Agroni, you know me from San Francisco, from the Ozarks, a bunker in the Ozarks, he likes to say. He, he's somebody who he's been on Cinemaholics before, although it's been a few years. Uh, he's a film critic, uh, member of Critics' Choice, host of the Sift Pop podcast. I'll let him do the. I, I feel like I can't do it justice. It's Aaron Dicer. Hey, Aaron. Oh, hey, John. How are Aaron, you doing? I'm fine, but I, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit to sort of sum up who you are. It's kind of difficult. You know, there's so much. Well, where, where do I begin? Uh, yeah, there's just so much to me, honestly, and uh, <laughs> so do we really have the time to really go into who is Aaron Dicer? Um, yeah, I think we minutes. do. Let's let's spend the next 60 minutes really talking about me. Uh, mm-hmm. No, I did want to start by saying, are we sure these aren't films? <laughs> well, I was going to get to that, right? Because, you know, we, we could just say it out loud. I mean, the last episode of Stranger Things Volume 4, right? No, Stranger Things 4 Volume 2 episode nine i can't do this um two and a half hours long two and a yeah, half two yeah. hours 20 minutes a long movie what are we not doing? just a movie uh yeah 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 i do remember i remember hearing that they all were going to be pretty long because they all really the entirety of season four is it's built on a lot of long episodes and i was just like i just i don't know that i want to do that and then i just got to thinking it's just numbers like would it have been different if it had been four you know, or six, you know, 30 minute episodes or, you know what I mean? Like it's no, I would have binged them. Probably would have binged the whole thing. It's just all about the structure. I mean, what's the best format for keeping you invested, keeping your eyeballs on the screen? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I eventually got over it and was just like, well, yeah, I'm going to watch it anyway. So, so yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I don't want to, I don't want to gloss over though. You know, you do the Sif pop podcast, you know, world famous, uh, award winning podcast. (laughs) Um, and I, I like to tell people, too, because, like, we don't cover everything on Cinemaholics. We try, right? Sure. And a lot of times, I have to direct people over to you because you guys are more likely to do spoils, little SIF spoils than yeah, we Yeah, so the way we do it over at SIF Spot, uh, SIF, SIF Pop, I think I know my own podcast. Yeah. Uh, the, way, the way we do it over there is we have evolved over, man, 10 years. We just celebrated our 10th anniversary uh, podcast. That's unbelievable. And um, so a decade of podcasting and it's evolved into a two movie a week podcast. Um, You know, it was much more pop culture. It was much broader pop culture to begin with. We still do TV occasionally, but eventually we made the decision to really focus on film. Um, I kind of made the the decision in my pop culture career to focus on film uh, as well. Uh, and eventually decided, Hey, let's just pick two movies every week and really go for it. You know, there are a lot of podcasts that do a weekly movie review. Let's be the podcast that does two of them. And then what we'll do is we keep it completely spoiler free in the main episode. But if we want to talk spoilers, we'll record a separate spoiler episode, um, for whatever content we wanted to record spoilers for. So, so yeah, so that's that's kind of what we do over there, and we try to cover as much as we can. Sometimes that means we're talking about movies that you know other people aren't talking about, and it also sometimes means we're talking about movies people don't care if we talk about. But that's just kind of how it goes. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I appreciate your show, and I appreciate you as a person, and you know, oh, thanks, man. You you have like a radio background too, right? You know, so it's like I do. Lots of people have podcasts and I mean, it's, you know, it's a fun thing to do. It's a fun project, but I always feel like uh, you've got that, you got that broadcasting experience, that a little bit of extra oomph to it, you know, and it's, it's always cool to see that it still lives on. Right. And you, do you still work in like radio to any extent at this point? No, the closest thing we do to radio, we have a weekly, um, my radio co-host and I still have a weekly like live show that we do every Monday morning. Oh, really? Um, okay. And so we have people join us live and we each pick a topic and then we take um, topics and questions at the end. 
Um, and it's a lot of fun. We have a lot yeah. of fun with it, but that's the closest we get to actually doing like old school morning radio. Yeah. I was a morning radio DJ for a while. You mentioned there are pros to that. There are certainly cons to that as well. You know, like you, you learn a lot of performative lessons that are different in radio than they are in podcasting. So, you know, you'll hear my, my voice do some radio things oh, yeah. that, <laughs> that don't the sound. The jockey comes out. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of annoying because. It is authentic. It's authentically me, but it can sound inauthentic because it's kind of that, you know, radio thing. So I, I do a lot to try to dial back, you know, that, hey, everybody, it's uh, six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> On the and, one, uh, two. Yeah, exactly. So mm-hmm. um, because podcasts are really nice, intimate, you know, source of audio. It's just, you know, put your earbuds in, hang out with a friend, talk about movies. And uh, it's yeah, casual. So I, yeah. Keep it a little more casual, a little less structured. Yeah, I mean, I know, I know we're supposed to talk about Stranger Things. We're not just supposed to chit-chat, right? <laughs> this is not the kitchen table, but I'm going to treat it as such. Um, I, I don't know, because I've been thinking about this today, actually. Aaron, I'm not going to lie to you. I was thinking about, like, where podcasting is going and, you know, if it's going in the right direction, a good direction, an okay direction. and Because mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like uh, it, it's so saturated right now. And I have a hard time really, like, I don't know, maybe, like, narrowing in on you like listening to the same podcast i used to a few years ago like i used to only listen to podcasts like for everything mm-hmm. i had my yeah. overcast app and it's like i had all my podcasts but now i barely use the app i'm on youtube all the time mm-hmm. what do you think mm-hmm. i mean content is always going to evolve and change and uh i think it is <sighs> the the biggest change that podcasting made that will continue no matter where the location is, and even no matter if the content is audio, video, or both, is the fact that it changed. It was a, a dawning of the change of access, right? It was a dawning of the change of who had the the keys to the kingdom. And the answer now is everybody. And that was always going to change. Technology was always going to change that. But podcasting was really kind of our podcasting in YouTube a little bit, you know, on the video side of things. Um but it was always going to be, oh, now everybody has the tools. And you know, podcasting was something, especially when it started, you didn't even have to have good tools. You didn't even have to have a good microphone. Like, it was just people were craving hanging out with people while they were off for a run. Because that's the thing. Audio content will always live. Audio content will always live somewhere. Because there's always been a time when you need your eyes for something else, but you want to be listening to something with your ears. Now, that can be music as well. Um, but for a lot of people, uh, audio content is also stories and conversations, and that's that's always going to be something. I don't I don't care where it is. Um, you know, I ask myself a lot of introspective questions about what I want to do with it. Like, is it is you know why do I produce content? Um, and the answer for me has always been because I have things I want to say, and I want to say them with people and have conversations. Like that feels nice. It, it do does. It. So, and, and what I found is when I would have conversations with people about stuff that occasionally people would be like, I like listening to your conversations with people about stuff. And I'm like, cool, let's do it. Yeah. Um, so that's just been, that's been my quote unquote career and how it has gone. has just been kind of a, an exploration of that idea. And that's always going, you know, will five years from now, 10 years from now, it all be more of a Twitch kind of setup where it's, live streaming and that kind of thing. I don't know. I just know I'm always going to want to have conversations and whatever the platform is doesn't really bother me too much. Yeah. I just, I need an excuse to chat with some of my best friends every week. I mean, that's a, right. That's like right. the main thing I use. I mean, I, I, I love producing stuff and putting stuff out there, but mm-hmm. I mean, the main thing that keeps me motivated and keeps me doing it every week is that I genuinely enjoy talking to my co-host will every mm-hmm. single week about movies. We have a lot of fun right. doing that. It's not just like obligation. Um, speaking of right. which, though, I guess I got to address that. Where's Will? Um, I know some of the <laughs> listeners are probably like, he's too scared. He, he, you know, wouldn't watch Stranger Things because the horror elements, right? The horror. He saw the runtime. That's what I'm talking about. He saw two hours and whatever for per episode. No, no. So what we're doing this week is, uh, you know, it's Independence Day coming up in America. And so we decided we were going to celebrate by being independent from each other. Uh, he's <laughs> off recording our minions episode minions the rise of Gru, yeah. with like four people and i was like well you guys have fun um i'm not watching minions uh <laughs> i i skipped my screening for it because i was like you know 
I don't care about the minions. I have nothing to add. I know you just did a whole sif pop for it, and uh-huh. I'm proud. You know <laughs> that you guys can just do that and have fun and make a go of it, and it, and it's killing the box office. Like it's yeah, making like Lightyear look silly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's kind of hilarious. Uh, but yeah, no, he's he's going to be doing that whole thing separate, and then we it's just it's just me and the dice man talking Stranger Things. I mean, what else mm-hmm. what else you want? Um, I've actually been meaning to talk about Stranger Things on Cinemaholics since 2016. Since we started the show, because we were like, mm-hmm. oh, we should do a thing about the first season, because we started the show in 2017. It's like, we should do that, and then we'll talk about season two, blah, blah, blah. I could never make it happen, because I could never get Will to watch it. And I always told myself I'd get a guest or something, but, you know, lazy. One so thing here, leads to another, and absolutely. pandemics happen, and yeah, I totally get it. <laughs> this, the seasons take several hours, or several years in between. Do you hear something, Aaron? I do. It's... I'm, oh, I'm starting okay. to see like particles in my, in my studio. I don't I think is it this snowing is a in here. Sign that you don't have. Did a lot I of forget time. to use my dandruff shampoo? What is <laughs> what is happening in here? I think uh, we we genuinely, if we don't talk about Stranger Things four soon, <laughs> yeah, that was <laughs> a portal will open. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So sorry, I had to do that. Um, Stranger Things. Okay, we have a new season. Uh, I kind of mentioned this already. First season of Stranger Things came out in 2016. We got season two. We got season three. Back in season three was what 2019, right? It was a, a while, while ago. ago. It three has been ago. a hot minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big, big gap of time and a little bit of a time jump for the characters, right? Because they're you know the kid actors mm-hmm. are all grown up. Um, let's start talking about Stranger Things. I have my first question for you, Aaron. Mm-hmm. I'm really curious, like, what you think? Why do you think this show is popular? Like what? What is it about this show you think that just makes people go like obsessed with it? Like it was, it's a big cultural moment every time a new season comes out. I'm going to say that it is similar to the impact that Top Gun Maverick is having at the the box office right now. There oh, is please some, explain. There's something about 80s style storytelling that is modernized with you know uh, a few things that modern filmmaking and storytelling has kind of left by the wayside a little bit. And there's a simplicity to heroes and villains. There's a simplicity to, you know, um, what the story is doing. Uh, there's a, a real nostalgia element to the idea of kids on bikes and Spielberg-esque things and Stephen King-esque things. And I just think, so when that first season hit, I think... Th- primarily for me it was just like this is just a fun story like this is just fun to see these kids in this kind of environment doing this stuff um and it works and the dungeons and dragons foundation of it works like all of it just works so i think because of that it built a lot of goodwill for its fans and you know and we're just in we're just we're just in we'll see how the story goes and where it ends um because honestly, for me, season two uh, wasn't all that great. Uh, season three was fine. Uh, it was a little bit better. Really wasn't until this season where I really came back and going, okay, we're back. Like the momentum, I feel it again. Like, you know, I'm excited again. So and maybe part of that is the time off. I don't know. But it, um, it always but, surprises yeah. me when I'm, you know, when I was watching season four, I was like, things kept getting brought up that happened in two and three. And I was like, it really is amazing how less I care about what happened in seasons two and three, how much I forgot, <laughs> right. like yeah, genuinely, yeah, totally. like they bring things up and they're like, yeah, the demo dogs. And I was like, oh yeah, I guess <laughs> okay. that was a thing. Yeah. Well, when something gets brought up that season one, I'm just like, oh my gosh, the eggs, like the, the waffles, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. They, they kind of lost that a little bit, you know? And it, I, I really, you know, now that we're, we have season four, we are going to get a season five. That's not a spoiler or anything. And we're not going to spoil anything for now. We might cover kind of our general take on how we've taken this new season and everything, but we, we won't spoil anything until we, we'll tell you, we'll tell you when that happens, mm-hmm. but Duffer brothers, you know, these guys have been working for a while. They're short film filmmakers at first. They did uh, a film for Warner brothers or start of the decade. They wanted to do movies. You know, they, they worked on uh, wayward pines and all, but they, they wanted stranger things. I think the original in- incarnation was more of a film, you know? So kind of going back to the, the opening of this, this whole cinema thing. And they pitched the idea, though, but Netflix was like, this is a, this is a show. I think that's where they landed with it. Sean Levy helps them make him. And then here we go. Like, it, it just kind of blew up, you know, in like one unbelievable, I think it was like the summertime. 
when Stranger Things blew up, all of a sudden everybody was talking about it. Everybody had watched that season and it becomes Netflix's flagship show. I think mm-hmm. I, I was I was asking, well, like, is this the flagship fo- show for Netflix? I feel like it has to be right. Uh, I would have said yes after season one. Okay. Um, and then I would have I am leaning yes after season four. But exactly. um, yeah. but Squid Game is is certainly vying for that. Yeah, uh, that title. Queen's Gambit, you know, if that wasn't a limited series, I'd say like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, the next big Netflix thing. But I feel like they're done with that. I feel like Queen's Gambit is the perfect example of how ephemeral content can be, because Mm -hmm. that was the hottest thing like in the history of television for about a month. And now people barely remember it. (laughs) People barely remember it. I remember. I I feel like I'm one of those weirdos. When's the last time you had a Queen's Gambit conversation? I mean, honestly, I can say that about so many things. though. (laughs) I feel like my life is like not a good. Like you mentioned Queen's Gambit. I was like, oh, yeah, that happened. Yeah. Oh, wow. (laughs) Well, I feel like that's how I was with Stranger Things, to your point. Mm -hmm. You know, like I I was like, yeah, yeah, that was a show. Like, I felt like it was over. I felt like, oh, they're not going to do another season after three because like at this point it's been years like what, mm-hmm. but it, it came back and i was going to ask you this next i mean this season has a very weird structure in terms of how they released it and i find yeah. it fascinating i actually wonder like if this might be this experiment might have paid off for them and if it might lead to them doing it again but here's what they did they released the first seven episodes and like we already mentioned a lot of those episodes were feature length you know i think mm-hmm. maybe a couple were like an hour a bunch of them were like an hour and a half Mm-hmm. And these episodes all dropped like per the normal Netflix thing. And then they said, this is volume one. And they gave us a month. They're like, you have a month to watch like seven movies. <laughs> and then everyone was like, we did it in a weekend. And then they were like volume two coming July 1st, right in time for Independence mm-hmm. Day weekend, blah, blah, blah. And then we get two more episodes. So it's like not the weekly format that people are like, that's how you keep pop culture conversations going. Because like mm-hmm. that's what Disney Plus has been experiencing success with in terms of Mandalorian, right? Yep. With Obi-Wan and their Marvel shows, they're like, okay, you know, if you do it week to week, you don't just have everything blasted over a weekend and then nobody talks about it and then you don't get new subscribers. Mm-hmm. Netflix is trying this thing where it's like we drop a ton of it, but then you got to wait for the finale. What do, what do you think about this? I think the binge model was always a mistake. Uh, and I think I've pretty much always said so. Um, it it certainly changed the game and, and it you know caught people's attention. Um, but it's just, it just sacrifices so much, uh, real estate, uh, to drop something all at once. Um, and no one really does it anymore. Like no, as much well, like Netflix does, but yeah, Netflix is the only one hanging on to it. And mm-hmm. I do think this was them starting to admit that maybe weekly content is the way to go. I don't know that they'll ever go weekly with this kind of stuff. They're really stubborn. Uh, about a lot of this and certainly they I'm sure they have algorithms that tell them that the stuff they're the choices they're making are good choices but I think they have been getting their uh, cultural conversation lunch handed to them by Disney Plus and HBO Max and it has been super annoying and so I think they wanted to try something new and I think it worked because there is the ability now to have a prolonged conversation between the first batch and this kind of uh, final finale. What I've noticed, I think Prime does this a lot, and I I think this is really smart. They'll drop the first three episodes and then go weekly. I think that's really smart. I think that's kind of the best of both worlds uh, from a marketing standpoint. Disney did that with, uh, I think, Obi-Wan, right? They did the first two. I know Um, they did with uh, WandaVision. Uh, I think they they released either two or three. Um, Miss Marvel, they didn't. This model, no. they just did one. No. Yeah, it is interesting how they, you never know. It's like, mm-hmm. But I think that yeah. they, they do understand the binge model works in one effect of like, you got to get them hooked. You can't right. expect them to keep coming back week after week. And I think that's why Netflix has the success they have. Um, mm-hmm. And I think like to what you're saying about Prime, like that's how I get hooked into the boys, you know, mm-hmm. like the, that show, I'm still watching that show week to week. I'm still invested because I watched, I think like the first three episodes, mm-hmm. like you said, yeah. and I was like, yeah. well, I'm in it now. Hero Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I think I think they're starting to figure it out. And, um, you know, too little, too late. I don't know. We'll see. It's like a half measure. It's like an interesting compromise. It's a have your cake and eat it, too, for them. And in mm-hmm. this case, I think that it's actually a win win mm-hmm. because it's a win for them because it extends the shelf life of like a 
pop culture moment for them. They've mm-hmm. had a lot of virality with like the Kate Bush song with volume one mm-hmm. with a lot of like speculation and theorizing in the lead up to this finale. You've had the built up anticipation, but then you also have that same binge format where it's like you don't have to wait a week and be like, uh, you know, Westworld, when are you coming back? It's going to be more just here it is. Here's four hours of content for you. And it, mm-hmm. I think it's actually kind of a nice solution. I do wonder if they're going to do it again. I mean, I feel like they can't do it for everything because like if it's a new property or a new IP, uh, you know, people aren't going to care. They're going to be like, just give me the whole thing. But maybe they'll do this for other big Netflix things. I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say right here, right now, I think they will go season five. Stranger Things will be their first big weekly show. I think they will. I I think they will use the final season of Stranger Things to own conversation for a couple months. Um, I just don't know how they bring this back. (laughs) I just don't know how they turn that down. Maybe maybe they might do a chunk. Maybe they'll do like a movie. Maybe they'll do like a two and a half hour, you know, season five opening, and then they'll do like weekly hour long, hour and a half long episodes. That's what I thought Volume Two was going to be. I I figured it was just going to be one movie because like, well, that's Mm -hmm. what you're doing anyway. So right, yeah. But, you know, but yeah. to, to them, I feel like the Duffer Brothers, like writing this show as a show is too like ingrained into the show's DNA at this point that it feel like a movie would be kind of it could it could feel a little weird. It could feel a little off balance. Yeah. But yeah, um, I do want to mention because I, I know that people have different opinions about Stranger Things. You know, a lot of people like we already talked about this. A lot of people like the first season. A lot of people like you and me were just sort of so so on the other season. It's like it was never bad. Like it was never like one of those things where I hated watching. Oh, it. no. It was no. just like, you know, it, it just didn't have that same spark, that same magic. But then I, it sounds like you had a similar experience in me with season four. Sorry, volume or Stranger Things four, volume one, <laughs> where I felt like I was into it again. I was actually like kind of captivated by what was happening. But a lot of people have been criticizing it. It's like too many characters. I've been saying that too many characters, too many plot points. Everything's all over the place. I can't keep up. Episodes are long. It just feels like even though this is a new sort of like this is an original kind of thing, it's kind of cool that we got to see it birthed, you know, in real time in the streaming area. It's one of it's one of those mm-hmm. few successes. But the crit- the criticism is coming out. So where do you land on the criticism? Uh, I love it. I love season four. Um, I don't think the cast is too big. Uh, Ooh, OK, I, there, there's there's a lot there's a, there's a lot of people, but. Like, I know who my primary people are, and I don't feel like there's too many primary people. There, There is, a, I, I do sense a little bit of the Ice Age effect, right? Where, like, a new characters get added in each additional movie, and then all of a sudden you have, you know, 16 different, uh, you know, Ice Age era animals or not era animals to keep track of in the fifth Ice Age movie or whatever. Like, I get that there's a little bit of that happening, but mm, I'm not confused by it. I'm, I'm never going, wait, who's that again? Where do they come from? Who do they relate to? Like, they, mm-hmm. so I'm, there's there's no confusion that I'm experiencing, and I kind of like them all. There's nobody that I'm like. Can we please just get them off the screen? Um, there's nobody. Okay, okay, that's that that, that is an extreme. So let me let me let me think. I mean, I, to be honest, I, I I actually I'm trying to think of one right now for myself, and there's nobody that I hate, but there are certainly ones I like more than others. To you know, so I'm I am. Um, I have things to say about Will, but Will is one of the four boys. Like, I mean, he's he's like he's an OG, right? Like, mm-hmm. even though he was an OG, but kind of not in the first season a lot. Um, so he was a plot device in the first season, arguably right. the second season too, and right. then he's kind of sidelined in the third, sidelined again in the fourth. But they're kind of setting him up for more. It's just That's what I, yeah, I didn't I didn't necessarily want to go too far with with him just because I have thoughts and and uh, predictions, but. Um, no, I, I can't think of anybody, anybody that's no, anybody that's shown a ton that I didn't, I like even the new additions, like the, was it Yuri or whatever? Like I like Yuri's great. Like, give me more Yuri. I don't know. I'm smart enough to do him in small doses. Although I I do like, um, the one guy who plays Jack and Hagar, um, in this, uh, he plays Jack and Hagar in, um, Game of Thrones, excuse me. And this, he's kind of like the, the guard, but I, and not Enzo, right? That's his code name. I don't remember. I don't remember either. But I'm not sure who you're talking about. Uh, he's he's the uh, the Russian guard who oh. helps them and is like with Yuri and everything. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Um, yeah yeah yeah. I like him. I like him in this. 
cannot tell you what his name is, so I apologize. Sure, sure. Um, but anyway, so in terms of like the main cast, though, like everybody gets like a little bit of an arc, right? It, it, mm-hmm. And I think this is the complaint I've seen is that people are like, everybody gets an arc. It's all written well. It's competent. It's the, the Duffer brothers know what they're doing. They care about these characters. But a lot of people are saying, well, you know, you know, volume two included. It's just feeling like everybody's arc is so plain compared to Eleven's. Eleven's obviously the main character. She's the most important character. She's the character everybody, most people's favorite, probably. But then, you know, other arcs are kind of like with with Jonathan Byers. You could make the case of like he doesn't need to be here, right? Like, I, what does he add? Like, he's just kind of along for the ride. It feels like obligatory. But you converse that with Steve. Steve is still like you know one of the. He's another fan favorite because it feels like he adds something to every scene he's in. So mm-hmm. what, what, what do you what do you think about that? Because because then I could say the same thing about Robin. I love Maya Hawk, but like her little arc, it's like. Eh. Okay. Yeah, but I there. love Robin. I love, I Robin. love Robin too. But I just she's feel like, great. what is she doing? Don't I, you take my Robin away from me? <laughs> I, I I want Robin to be rocking, Robin, but Robin rocks. Don't take rockin' Robin. Um, yeah, I uh, I think you have a good point with the Charlie character. I don't know where they're going with that Charlie character. Heaton? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah, the Charlie Heaton character. Um, I don't know where they're going with Jonathan. I don't know. Um, I, I think they're trying to milk the love triangle a little bit more, which is interesting because I usually hate that. But I was kind of like, actually, I'm kind of down to see how this plays out. Like, I'm like, because they kind of took a break from it for a little bit. I'm mm-hmm. just kind of like, you know, because season four, they really put, um, uh, r- really put Nancy and Steve in the thick of it. And so I'm just, you know, I bought into that. But yeah, I think I think that's fair. I think that criticism is fair of the the Jonathan character, but um but I still don't hate it. Like I still, you know, it's, it's not like when he was on screen just hanging out, I was like, get that get him off screen. Why is he here? Like I I know <laughs> okay. that guy. I know he was yeah, in season one. I know that guy. I I guess that's that's the argument I'm seeing. It's just like you like him, but it's like there, there, I don't know. There is a disparity between some of the characters being more like like one good example is I think that everybody in the Russia storyline kind of has like a really good part to play. You need mm-hmm. every single person there for it to function. You mm-hmm. know, you have to have Yuri. You have to have the the Russian guard. You have to have Dimitri, Brett Gelman's character. Oh, Dimitri, thank you. You have to have Brett Gelman's character, you know, you have to have Joyce You ha- and you have to have Hopper. So it just feels like it's a very cohesive unit and it's fun and watching those characters bounce off each other is great. But then by contrast, you have Mike and Will and this weird subplot where Will is kind of like clearly it's coded like he hasn't come out mm-hmm. and it looks like yeah. he's trying to like weigh that and he has mm-hmm. like a romantic love for, you know, an unrequited love for Mike and mm-hmm there's that whole storyline they don't do a ton with it in volume one they kind of do more stuff with it in volume two a little bit and then you have his brother is also there and you also have the comedic relief in argyle mm-hmm. and to me it's like that's not as cohesive as a unit like it just feels like everybody's kind of like there if that makes sense it does but going back to the 80s style movie making you know those group journeys were you know, the the idea that every single character has to have backstory and character arc and something that's influencing them in every single scene, that's a it's kind of a, a more modern, completist view. You know, there's there are certainly great movies that we love that have characters that were just there for comic relief or, you know, characters that were just there to hang out and we liked them. You know what I mean? Like, it, it wasn't that we had to know um, everything about every character. Uh, so... I, I guess for me, if a character's not annoying me, I'm come along for the ride. Like, you know, <laughs> more the merrier. Yeah, Aaron. more the merrier. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I can buy into that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, the storyline has been, and you know, we can we can kind of give away at this point things that happened in volume one. We won't say what happened at the very end, but we can we can talk about volume one. This the main storyline here is that they're essentially saying that all the other seasons have been leading up to this. You could make an argument that it's a bit of a retcon or a bit of a sort of like recontextualizing of oh, seasons totally. one through three, where it's like, actually, 
there was, you know, a villain, you know, there was mm-hmm. a humanoid villain, a character tied to Eleven's past. This didn't really start when Eleven opened the gate in season one or like right before season one. It, mm-hmm. it started years before that. And there's this whole mystery structure to volume one. That's the part of it. One of the parts of it that I loved. I, I thought that that was a very well executed twist. I, oh, I thought yeah. it was really, you know, the whole thing with Vecna, Henry, his backstory, the way that they seeded that, I thought it made it very engaging, very fun to watch, despite my complaints about some of the casting. Uh, and it sounds like you agree. I totally agree. Um, I think the the mystery element uh, is something this show really, I don't think it's nailed it this well. Um, I was thinking back to season one, and it's not, I mean, there's the mystery of who is Eleven. But that's not necessarily a mystery season one is trying to answer completely. Um, so, you know, it's interesting to kind of be hanging out here towards that place where the writers know they see the finish line, which is always, you know, interesting to me because then you get the a real clarity of momentum, right? And I think that's what I felt with the mystery in the story was just a, a clarity of, we know where we're going and we're running now. Like we're, we're going to get there. Um, and I found that exciting. Yeah. I think it, to what you're saying, it, it makes the stakes feel a little bit more pressing than the last two seasons, because the last two seasons were always sort of, you know, the first season was, okay, we got to, we got to find Will. And there's this very upsetting, you know, evil dimension that we have to navigate. And then also, oh my gosh, there's this like psychic girl we just met. Seasons two and three, they they had their own sort of things, you know, it's like, oh, we got to, you know, what's going on with Will now? And then season three, it's like, we're at a mall. And then season four, like, I I can't even remember. That's why I'm just sort of saying things. (laughs) We're at a mall. Uh, Yeah. Season, that's like what I try to remember season three. That's all that like comes to my mind is like, they're at the mall. And it's very, very important that they're at the mall. Uh, Anyway, season four, it starts off with like, okay, there are some killings. All right, cool. Yeah, that's par for the course for stranger things but then it evolves it becomes way more about you know it's not just these killings these killings mean something a bit bigger and i think they mean something more personal they create this system where you Mm -hmm. know for example the max character you know it's not just something bad happening to her externally it's like this creature this evil human being turned demon whatever is in her head and that's when like the more personal it starts to get the more it's like, this is the show progressing. This is getting beyond mm-hmm. sort of like the formula of the first season and doing something a little bit different. I think that's why it works. I, th- I think that's true. And you mentioned uh, Max and how great is Sadie Sink. I mean, like it, it, just incredible work. I And here's the other thing, I guess this goes in the pro column too, which is I think the Duffer brothers and all those who are responsible for structure and scripting and directing they're using their pieces really well. I think they know what they have in their individual pieces. And you mentioned that some pieces are brought to the back, some are brought to the front. I think they're doing that intentionally because they know what they have. Like, I think they know what they have with that Max character. And so they're bringing it forward in some ways. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I, I, I really think that there's some really smart character um, focus going on in season four uh, to keep the momentum going, too. And we do go, I guess we can talk about volume two now. And I feel like the the enthusiasm for volume one has been generally pretty positive. Volume two, I've seen a mix. I, I've seen some people just be like, you know what? This didn't really work for me, you know? And I'm, I'm fresh off of it. I just watched, I watched uh, episode eight yesterday. And then I watched episode nine um, over the last 12 hours. That's how long it took. Um, <laughs> joking. Uh, two and a half. Real time. Real time. But yeah, no, I watched it and, you know, I, I kind of came away from it kind of like, okay, this was the, you know, the climax and the resolution, you know, the, the last episode has like a big chunk of it devoted to, okay, well, now we have to sort of, you know, see what happens after what happens uh, without giving anything away. Of course, I, I, what, what's your general take on this? Because I'm still kind of processing it myself. I still think like everything we've said so far that was positive, you know, Sadie Sink's performance, some of these new characters. I, I love Joseph Quinn as Eddie Munson. I, I, I'm thrilled with how that worked mm-hmm. out as a character. I'm still though kind of wondering how I feel about the way the story wraps up. So what, what do you think? Uh, I, obviously we're still processing as we record this, it literally came out two days ago. Like it's, you know, there's, there's no possible world aside from screeners that we would 
not still be processing this. And they only gave it to Junket Press. Not a lot of yeah. people saw this early. Yeah, no, no, definitely not. I didn't. Uh, I saw all of it yesterday. I watched all of it yesterday. Um, so for me, I am still in... Okay, so if one, th- one thing you'll learn about me, if you hear me review many things, I am a movie optimist. I go into every movie wanting to love it, hoping to love it, even cheating a little bit to love it. Like I, like I, I am so thrilled to enjoy film that I'm willing to overlook a lot. Genuinely am. Along with that comes a real recency bias. So if I like something, chances are I'm going to really like it right after I saw it. So keeping that all in mind, um, I, I am thrilled with the final two episodes. I think it really wrapped up uh, what it needed to for the season. Um, I always hesitate when there are extended post-climax things happening where I'm like, this feels like next season work. Like, let's just, you know, let's just go from the climax and and uh in roll credits but um but there's a lot of post oh i thought we were done now uh in this one and that i'm still processing and trying to figure out um what that's all about because that is all stuff that isn't necessarily going to be um important for another year two years i don't know when i like whenever season five comes out so they can't um, wait that long because these kids are like they're going to be in their 30s (laughs) by the time I mean, I think um, the guy who plays Dustin is 20 years old right now. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, could be. Um, I, I, this is the first since season one where I'm like not distracted by their ages. And I think it's because of the gap. I think it's because it was such a long gap that mm. watching them now, I was able just to recontextualize their ages in the story now in a, in a better way. But season two and season three, I was like, you know, these kids aren't the age I want them to be. <laughs> I don't know if that's, that's terrible, <laughs> I guess, but it's, you know, it was just what my brain was doing um, while watching it. But the season four, I didn't feel that at all. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they still get a little bit of hay out of like Steve Harrington, the babysitter, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> even though they, they kind of point out a couple times, like they're not really like little kids anymore, but you know, they're kind of, yeah taller yeah. than you uh, <laughs> yeah um yeah i i think i i'm definitely coming out on the side of like i enjoyed it i didn't check out while i was watching this i'm still no. in you know i do wonder how i would feel if i had watched everything at once if i had watched volume one and volume two like sequentially because i wonder you know how much the expectation game is playing here for some people you know, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm similar to you. I typically just sort of let let things come as they come, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm willing to overlook things a lot. But I do want to mention. I mean, the production values of this show are astronomical, and I wonder sometimes. I'm like, is it? You know, I I appreciate. It. I feel like it's a feast for the eyes that we have television. Like, you know, it. it, it I w- I was around when television was like on a totally different level of what you could expect from a TV movie, let mm-hmm. alone an episodic TV show to see like, this is not just like blockbuster, you know, budget filmmaking. This is like mm-hmm. the, the most expensive stuff you can expect to see on any screen. And the fact that they're doing this for a relatively young IP is very, like, I think is really cool. I, I think that that's a really interesting thing. I know some people will be like, it's not really original because it's, you know, Stephen King and it's, it's, uh, it's Steven Spielberg. What, what are you going to do? But I, I think it's still original, you know, it's, it's borrowing a lot of things. I think, um, I was actually going to mention this. So you, you were alive in the eighties. I was not. Uh, <laughs> Thanks John. So Thanks. Appreciate yeah, yeah, not, that. To, not, not to put an expiration date on. I got, I got four years in the seventies, baby. Hey, I wasn't going to mention uh, anything else. I, you know, that's for you to, but no, I, I, to me, my nostalgia for the eighties is different from yours. I experienced my nostalgia for it through the movies and the TV shows I watched growing up in the nineties, you know, because the eighties have always been a more popular decade than the nineties. They've always been more to what you're saying. Like, I guess, uh, I don't know if cinematic is the right word, but it's it's more of a decade that has like a feeling, like a signature style, whereas the 90s is very MTV. It's very different. It's just like, it doesn't quite measure up. I mean, listen, the internet came along and absolutely ruined like decade consistency. Like it's, it's impossible to think of what a decade means after the 80s, in my opinion. 
it's, it's you think really the internet because is the reason for that. I, I really do. I think the uh, technology, I maybe broaden it to technology, but yes, in general, the idea of, um, I was just talking about this with, um, with the black phone, you know, being set in the seventies, um, mm-hmm. that there's just, you watch a movie like that and you just go, what a different world, you know, it's just it, it the was, analog nature of it. Yeah. Just the completely analog nature. So, um, so yeah, I think it's difficult for, for there to be as much, um, individualism and like trend setting and that kind of stuff is so different now because it all happens so quickly and it's so ephemeral and it's so, um, so that it's just, you know, decades happen in years. <laughs> it's like, you can talk, you're more, you're more easily to talk about what 2003 was than what the aughts were. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's just, it's, it's, I don't know. It's a weird, it's a weird time and a weird it, thing. It's that, an interesting observation because i think to what you're saying i think the aughts are more like that for me like the bush era you know when i think of like that decade that's the decade where i'm like the internet is becoming like Mm -hmm. closer to what it is to you know the the 20 teens or the social media era and i think both of those decades i would say are much harder to sort of sum up because like how do you consensus Mm -hmm. any of that like any of the pop culture of that time it's just so all over the place it's so meta it's so self-referential and Mm -hmm. a lot of it is built off the back of the 80s and early 90s like if you want to you know Mm -hmm. open things like jurassic park and and all that other stuff so yeah to what you're saying it's like you you couldn't really make like a stranger things out of the 90s maybe Mm -hmm. you could and like i'm just not creative enough to imagine it but to that effect i think for a show like this to exist at all i think it's a benefit that you can watch it not knowing any of these references and still enjoy it like i watched this and there were a bunch of things that go over my head because like i didn't consume i read ready player one and i i had a hard time with that i was just like Mm -hmm. what Uh, you know but uh how was that experience for you you know being a bit more familiar with that i don't know that the 80s of it all is a lot of wink wink easter egg references kind of stuff i think it really is more of a feel it really is more of a nostalgic feel for not only the era like you know you just think of the clothing and the cars and you know what they're uh, you know watching on television or you know literally a up. michael myers mask is in this movie right this yeah, show. <laughs> dressing, uh dressing up like the ghostbusters or whatever um you know that's pretty broad stuff so Having said that, maybe it's just because it's uh, stuff I'm familiar enough with that it doesn't strike me as, you know, odd. Were there, were there things you felt like were Easter eggs that you're like, I don't get that. I don't understand. What was that reference? Kind of. Well, there, there's a moment and uh, I, I, I couldn't really say it without uh, spoiling too much. But there's a moment where a character is like literally holding a sword. And I was like, I bet that's a reference to something like the way the pose of it and the, the body language. Like, I mm-hmm. feel like that's referencing something. I don't think it's supposed to be Dragon Slayer because they've already done Dragon Slayer. But it was stuff <laughs> like that. Where I was like, I, you know, if this is a reference, that's cool. But, you know, it doesn't need to be for me to still think it's a it's an awesome moment in the show. Well, as uh, as the resident uh, '80s uh, liver thrower, um, I uh, I didn't recognize that as a reference either. So I'm not I'm not sure if it was. It, it flew over my head, unless it's supposed to be some sort of you know Conan the Barbarian or something mm-hmm. like that. But I could be. It didn't seem um, specific enough to me. I won't say this in detail, but there is a Metallica needle drop that is genuinely <laughs> like they set it up, they pay it off, and it was everything I've ever dreamed of. It's like, the best. It's it, so it, great. Oh, probably it's so good. Probably my favorite moment of this entire you know season four. You know this whole thing. Uh, I thought it was fantastic. Um, okay, so getting a little bit more into like let, let's let's open it up here. Okay. And say like we can we can say things that happen in season four, volume two. So if you haven't you haven't watched it and you're just you're still kind of like testing the waters, I feel like most people who are going to be listening to this have watched it um, at this point. Uh, if they're still listening, so I, and I I just want to open it up here a little bit because there are two main plot points here that I think are kind of massive. Uh, one is that you know Eleven loses, you know, and it, mm-hmm. it's something that I think needs needed to happen i mean they were kind of, of like setting every seal, single season is like then 11 showed up and saved the day it's like every season is like that mm-hmm. not this time well they kind of get their cake and eat it too if we're being honest they they do get the like 11 kind of wins yeah well they they do get the 11 you know saves the day moment and i did get goosebumps and i i always love that kind of stuff um i think it's handled really really well and the losing that she does is 
not so definitive as much as it is transitory, if that makes sense. Like, you know, taking the loss in this case doesn't mean, um, you know, it's over. It just means, you know, it's like it's like she lost um, game three. You know what I mean? Like it's it it doesn't feel like, um, you know, the, the, the series is over. Well, it's like Empire Strikes Back, right? Right. You know, they have a character who's literally in a coma. <laughs> and again, I guess that was probably the point, wasn't it? Like, you know, Could she be. won the first time, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And then this time she loses something. She doesn't lose a hand or anything, but, you know, like they weren't going to go that far. Mm-hmm. But uh, clearly, like, the threat is still out there. The threat has been maybe arguably weakened, but she doesn't have the means to defeat, you know, this great threat on her own. Mm-hmm. So, like, next yeah. season's going to be all about wrapping that up. And the thing that I struggle with is how can they continue to make that villain interesting? Because it's not like that villain can be redeemed. I I feel like that they've made the villain so cartoonishly evil. They've made the villain so like repressive and and all this stuff. What, what else is there to ground in terms of the story? I'm interested to see how they try to solve that problem because it's a, it's a tough problem to solve. I think. Yeah. There's something about the way 11 was talking to Vecna uh, about you know, this isn't your fault. This isn't you. And something about the response, which was basically, no, you're wrong. I am the monster. This is me. Um, that makes me think that's going to be one of, if not the primary tension point of season five. I would agree, uh, except now we don't have Matthew Modine's character anymore. So it's right. like, what is So, yeah, if that's the way they go, which would make sense with what they've set up, I, mm-hmm. how do they do that? If they, they don't have him anymore in the show. It's strange to me uh, that the, oh, what's the, the character's name? Um, not talking about Papa? No, no, I'm not talking about uh, Paul Reiser's character. Yeah, Paul. What's Paul Reiser's character's name? His name is uh, Owens. Owens. It's weird to me that Owens just falls off the face of the planet for that last thirty minutes. Yeah, um, we don't see I, him again, don't we? Huh? No, the and, government has him. And I'm wondering if there's something there uh, that we're going to learn. What did we learn about Nina in this season? I think Nina was the thing that was supposed to be, there was something about that that would make Eleven powerful enough to stop Vecna, but I didn't catch what it was. Right. I don't see, that's what I'm, that's what I'm getting at. I didn't know if I just missed it and there was more there or if it's just all set up. I think the Nina thing is, uh, is obviously going to come into play and, um, I just don't know Mm. what that means or what that is. So I I think they're well aware of where they're going. I don't think they have a lot of brainstorming to do about the story i think you're right i think they mapped it all out um so it's just one of those things where like they leave it in such an interesting place from a storytelling perspective that Mm. it's getting me to wonder not a lot of like major character deaths you know like we said we would spoil things here so i I think like you know eddie munson dying was kind of expected i think that like that's that was his arc you know of running away and everything as soon as he was suspected to be a serial killer he had to die like there was yeah there's no weird thing where he comes back and, you know, is then arrested. <laughs> like, um, just... I mean, yeah. And then there's no, they had to kill off Jason because they just made him unhinged. Um, mm-hmm. So like, there's no coming back from that, you know, as a character <laughs> and, uh, and they kill off uh, Brenner, uh, Papa. Mm-hmm. So like, those are the three main deaths, but now we're moving into a season where, you know, they can kill anybody they want. I mean, and I do wonder, like, what's the happy ending for a show like this? You know, it's like they kind of teased around with Max dying. And I think if they had done that, that would have been really brave. It would have been really sad, you know, and I I wouldn't have liked it. But I also would have respected it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Do, do you think that this is one of those shows that needs something like that? Or do you think, like, I, I, again, I'm, I'm trying to, like, wrap my head around, like, what are the emotional stakes going to be of season yeah. four? Growing up or season five? Growing up, getting out of the house, going to college? Yeah, serve the story, serve the story, serve the story, right? I don't I don't know what they think best serves the story. Um I uh I, you know, I I have a sneaking suspicion from all the setup that Noah is is I'm sorry, Will is either going to to die or come very very close to it. They wouldn't He's, dare. He seems he seems to be he seems to be the one with uh, a sacrifice chip left to play. Like, you know, like, like that kind of storytelling thing where 
Mike tries to sacrifice, but at the last second, you know, Noah has done something to, you know, it's the Spock instead of Shatner. It's the, you know, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's that storytelling thing where, you know, the person you don't expect actually sacrifices their life. So, you know, I just, I want, I want my time skip where the show ends <laughs> with, you know, will, you know, will live in New York city, you know, dating this, you know, amazing guy. And it's just uh-huh. going to be like, uh-huh. Hey, Mike, Mike L come on in, you know, we're making, you know, creme brulee or something. And I'm just like, that's, if the show doesn't end that way, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, <laughs> I don't even know what we're doing anymore. I just don't know. <laughs> I feel like you got to keep the core cast intact. I think that the whole None show the has dot. been, they've been leading up to Steve being the like, loving these kids so much and giving up, you know, that cookie cutter life that he talks about with Nancy in this season and just giving that up. Uh, I could see it happening with Hopper again, even though they already did that whole thing with Hopper. I know, but if anyone, if anyone has a big, like, I'm not long for this world on their forehead, I think it's Steve. And it, it, you're I not love wrong. Steve, right. Yeah. Um, there, there is a lot of that, um, you know, SS live forever, uh, <laughs> yeah. stuff going on with, with Steve, um, Simpsons reference, uh, for, for all of those who didn't know. Uh, but yeah, it's, it is one of those things where they are giving him a lot of, you know, emotional, um, here's what I want. Here's all this. So yeah, that he could be, you know, last day on the job, Steve, uh, could be the one sacrificing. I don't, I don't think I have anything else that I wanted to ask you about. I had one more hot take that for you to disagree with. Um, volume one, I think the Russia stuff was kind of cool. It was interesting. I thought it was, you know, cool. Oh, checking in on Hopper. What are they going to do? The plane, uh, volume two, totally unnecessary. I, if there was one thing to take out, to like make it shorter and to just cut away. It's the Russia stuff. Like, I just, I don't think it yeah, was necessary. It, at all. It's it, yeah. It, I mean, it's only necessary in the, in terms that that's what they decided. The story was, they decided the story was, you know, three different groups, three different places, all coming together to, you know, somehow save the day, have this moment. They got to do that. Um, they got to do the return of the Jedi thing in the last part. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, I, I just don't know for me, not only did it feel unnecessary, it also was anticlimactic. Like there wasn't, I mean, I'm not trying to say Hopper, you know, cutting the head off of a Demogorgon, yeah. uh, with <laughs> a mean, sword it was thrilling. Sure. isn't, isn't cool, but I am saying it certainly is, didn't do the thing they thought it was going to do. Like the whole plan was they were going to keep Vecna distract. Did I miss it? Did that, did it actually help? Somehow, I, don't, oh, I, I thought just their don't... plan was they had to destroy the creatures because they had particles in them and that would help. And it, it made no sense to me. And well, I that's what I'm if... saying. I thought the idea was they destroy the particles, which is the yeah. creatures, because all the creatures got out and that that was supposed to distract Vecna enough, you know, that I, I think distracting was... Vecna was what the other group was trying to do. See, it makes no sense. And, and I think it, it, this is why I think cutting the Russia stuff is helpful because like how is the KGB, how is the entire Russian army not at that base, not at that prison, I should say. Like, yeah. they, they just kind of disappear. They don't come anywhere near it. Like, it, well, it's the Demogorgons sort of... ate them all. <laughs> <laughs> well, they just ate the prison guards, right? And I, yeah, that, that was the thing that I just didn't get. I was like, how how in the world is this, like, do they have, like, the wiggle room to, to navigate the situation? And I was like, well, just, if they had just written that stuff out, let Hopper and Joyce have their reconnection that I think they're they're waiting for, and then just focus on the other things. I think it would have been stronger, but, you know, what do I know? There I'm was not- a lot made. There was a lot made about the removal of the dad bod uh, in, in season four, uh, lots of people commenting on, if he had still had the dad bod after like months in a torture camp, uh-huh. that would have been nonsense. So correct. Correct. Uh, had to happen. Had David to happen. Harbour, you know, the, I think the, I think the, the lesson, the point of that is that David Harbour is extremely attractive no matter what weight class. He's in, so. <laughs> that is the, that is the point. That I love, I away. love how after season one, people were like, yeah, dad bods are sexy. It's like, I think maybe David Harbour is sexy. I don't, I don't know that it's the, I don't know that specifically <laughs> the dad bod, but sure. Cool. Okay. Everything, you know, to each their own. For um, sure. As we're kind of, we're kind of like winding down here and I, I, the name of the actor that I was blanking on earlier who plays Dimitri, as you pointed out, is mm-hmm. Tom 
Wasicha. I don't think I'm pronouncing mm-hmm. that correctly. He's a German actor. So take what I said, the incorrect incorrect pronunciation, and put the correct German pronunciation <laughs> on it, and that's who he is. Um, so apologies for that. Uh, Aaron, we like to do th- something on Cinemaholics when we're, we're kind of finishing out and we're, we're saying our okay. goodbyes and everything. We play a little game. Okay. It's called the Rotten Tomatoes game. Okie doke. It's where, you know, well, first I have to ask you, have you seen the Rotten Tomatoes score for Stranger Things Season 4? I have not. Perfect. I have not. Because... I'll look that up right now. Nope, don't look that up. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, I was like, oh, maybe you didn't hear me. Um, no, so we're, we're going to have you guess uh, a little bit of a oh, guessing great. game. Um, so you get to, I'll tell you how many critics have plugged in their little review. I, okay. I assume you might be one of them for all I know. I don't know if you did a review for this one, but um, but if you didn't, then that's even less of a hint, right? So critic right. ratings, there are 158. As I go, Rotten Tomatoes goes. That's the, that's the saying over there at RT. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, th- so 150 reviews counted for season okay. four. And I assume 158. Yeah. Okay. I assume that that's like counting. I think that they're just consolidating volume one and two. So what do you think the tomato meter score is for season four? And they're combining volume one and two. I think so. Because so, there's no For the no entirety of season four. Mm-hmm. plenty of reviews in i'm going to how close do i have to get like what's the what's the what's the goal here just to i'll i'll, I'll show you i'll show you oh okay you can oh. try to get it spot on but then that might be a little bit extra stuff going on here okay all right all right fair enough fair enough um i'm gonna go with 87 this is not 87 okay. you are two points off oh so, i love it that is really well done well done um it's not a it's not an easy game so do you think that means it's 85 or 89 i think that means it's 89 well done 89 percent is correct audience score you thought we were done um (laughs) 2120 user ratings you gotta gotta guess the audience score come on how are you ever gonna guess an audience score will gets Uh, it all the time uh Sometimes 2000 2000 wait he gets the exact number all the time he's gotten he's gotten the exact number for all of these uh we also do letterboxed average ratings and he's really good at it because i've been training that's amazing him. that's an amazing <laughs> amazing gift um that I'm, I'm sure he's not googling on his phone as you play right, uh right. let's see uh okay so the audience over a couple thousand for the entirety of season four man Fans are interesting. I'm I'm going to, and I don't know. See, this it would help if I knew our audience scores usually higher or lower than critics. I have no idea. I'm going to go with 91. Okay. Once again, two points off. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. So, do you think it's two points lower or two points higher? I think it's two points higher. I think it's 93. It's two points lower. Okay. It's a so split. They were the same. 89, 89. Nice. Is that, is that usually the case or is that a weird thing? Well, we don't usually do shows. So I don't know like oh, okay, okay. how that compares with movies. Usually audience score is higher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's usually the, the, the helpful indicator for like, even if you get the tomato meter wrong, usually you kind of get an idea, you know, at where it might be elsewhere. I have one last question for you. I'm looking at sure. all the stranger things seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like, I'm just going to say the first season has the best Rotten tomato score. I, I'm not, but what do you think so. has the second best? I I mean for me it's season three. Um I'm going to Yeah, I'm gonna say season three. It's not, it's season two. Okay. But here here's the it? thing. Three and four are tied for third. They both have eighty nine percent. Season one has ninety seven, season two has ninety four. So it's been going down every season, which I find. Which I guess makes sense. I guess that makes sense. Um but yeah, I would reverse those. For sure. But okay. That's that's the Rotten Tomatoes game. It's uh, America's favorite game show. And <laughs> Aaron Dicer, America's favorite cult, pop culture podcast host. Oh, um, thank you, wow. of course, for doing the show. I mean, I didn't make the rules. I, I'm upset about it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, hauntingly jealous. Uh, but no, thank you so much for coming on. Please plug as many things as you want. Tell listeners, like, where do they got to go? They're like, I, I need more of this voice. Okay, so I do a bunch of stuff. Um, I mentioned the weekly radio type morning show, Monday mornings, that I do with uh, my former radio co-host, Danae Hughes. Uh, That's called The Morning DNA, um, and that is 9 a.m. Central Time every Monday. 
Um, you can follow me on Twitter uh, for links and stuff. That's at Aaron Dicer. Uh, also mentioned Sif Pop. Uh, the weekly podcast comes out uh, usually pretty early in the week. We record live on Saturday mornings usually. And uh, so you can check that out again at my uh, Twitter. should have the links there. Um, I also write for the YouTube channel Cinema Sins and narrate the YouTube channel TV Sins. Um, so I didn't know you were doing narration. What? Oh yeah, I do all the I do all the That's narration fun. for TV Sins now. Um, I've been doing that a couple years uh, and really enjoying it. Um, so yeah, you can uh, you can check that out um, if you have uh, opinions. On Cinema Sins and TV Sins, I would love to chat with you one on one about. Have you narrated the TV Sins for Stranger Things? <laughs> Have you? Yes, uh, season, we did the entirety of season one, and wow. uh, so there is a there's actually a Stranger Things season one. Everything wrong with Stranger Things season one video uh, that is uh, Jeremy's voice, who's the main narrator for Cinema Sins for the first two episodes, and then my voice uh, for the remaining eight right weren't there 10 that first season i can't remember that's fantastic um, so we get to hear all of the contradictions all the nice things you said here <laughs> like gonna go out the window <laughs> it is uh, comedy it is comedy folks <laughs> it is comedy uh, thank you. at least it tries to be thank you for uh for doing the good youtube work and uh for coming on here really yeah, appreciate course. the spirit of discussion you, you, you helped me feel a little bit better about season five i appreciate that a lot oh yeah yeah i'm i'm excited i you know I'm I'm easy though I'm easy to please in many ways um, so yeah I'm excited to see what uh, season five is going to bring and it's just, it's going to be sad when when Dustin dies but you know you got to oh, do wow. what you got to do 